Podcastle, episode 113, for July 13th, 2010, by Namoinen and the Singing Fish, by Marissa Lingen, rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is Vainemunen and the Singing Fish by Marissa K. Lingen. As you can tell, or maybe not, I had to do some serious delving into the international phonetic alphabet in order to correctly, or maybe not, pronounce the title of this artful retelling of an ancient Finnish folktale. Now, according to Marissa's live journal, she did email a Finnish pronunciation guide to Podcastle producers, but I guess that got sent to reader Marie Brennan, so I was stuck with Wikipedia. Therefore, please be advised that the pronunciations in this introduction are entirely the pronunciations of this co-host and do not reflect the pronunciations of Podcastle or any other global subsidiary of Escape Artists International. Vainemunen is one of the heroes of the Kalevala, the national epic of Finland, a massive work, consisting of almost 23,000 verses divided into 50 cantos. I'll admit I'd never even heard of it before reading this story, but it's an extremely influential mythos, having inspired the works of writers such as Michael Moorcock and J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien, as a matter of fact, claimed the Kalevala as one of his sources for the Cimmerillion. And some have even drawn parallels between the character of Vainemunen and Tom Bombadil of Lord of the Rings. I don't know, I can't say I see the resemblance, but then I'll admit I have a lot more to learn about our man Vainemunen. You know, it's really just quite fun to say once you get the hang of it. Vainemunen. I just pray that the International Phonetic Alphabet hasn't let me down. Otherwise, I've just committed an atrocity against Finnish culture, and God knows I can't have any more of those on my record. Marissa K. Lingen is a freelance writer who lives in Minnesota with two large men and one small dog. You can find her online at her live journal, mrissa.livejournal.com, where she writes about books and writing and life and all manner of cool stuff. And keep an eye peeled for her upcoming stories in On Spec, Analog, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. The story is read by Marie Brennan, a former graduate student in anthropology and folklore who has misapplied her degrees to her Onks Court series of London-based historical fantasy novels. Her newest novel, A Star Shall Fall, is forthcoming from Tor at the end of August, and you can read an excerpt at her website, www.swantower.com. Enjoy the story! Vainamoinen and the Singing Fish by Marissa K. Lingen Long ago in the Samima, there lived a charmer named Yuka Hainen. Yuka Hainen's charms were legendary throughout the district. He could charm the birds into singing a rousing dance tune, he could charm the apples into cider and the fire into a splendid picture show. His charm songs could make lovers fall in love and enemies reconcile. Throughout the district, the people praised his talents. In the midst of all of his admirable activity, sometimes his two younger sisters, Aino and Nora, had to do his chores. They would herd the reindeer and milk the goats and charm the cow out of the mire. They would pack the household up and load the sledges when it was time to move on to a different pasture. But with all that Yuka Heinen could do, no one much minded that except perhaps his sisters. Whenever a foreigner came to the district, all of the neighbors would tell him how lucky he was to be in the home of the legendary Yuka Heinen, charmer for the ages. But the foreigners would squint and say, Yuka Heinen? Never heard of him. Is he as good as Vainamoinen? And Yuka Heinen would seethe. Then he would do all of his best charms. The birds would sing an invocation to the spirits of the forest in such piercing beauty that any man would weep to hear it. 
and the fire would glow white and blue and paint pictures of splendor, and the flowers would all spontaneously bloom, even if it was in the middle of the long night, and snow covered them all. And then the foreigners would clap Yukahainen on the shoulder and say, Keep at it, lad, and someday you'll be as great as Vainamoinen. Or, when Vainamoinen's not around, by the gods, you'll do. They meant to be kindly, but every time he heard the name Vainamoinen, Yukahainen's blood boiled. So one day Yukahainen went to his family at their dinner table and said, I must go out to see the world. I must challenge this damnable Vainamoinen and prove once and for all that I am the greatest charmer, not just in the Samima, but in all of the lands around. Oh dear, said his mother. She exchanged looks with his father, who said nothing. It was Yukahainen's father's custom to say nothing. Nora, the younger of his two sisters, clapped her hands. How thrilling! And then she stopped. But Aino and I will have to cull the reindeer herd without you. It is the price I must pay, said Yukahainen. The price we must pay, said practical Aino. Well, we're better at it than he is anyway. But honestly, can't you just let this fine Moinen alone? I'll bet our folk tell his folk that someday he might be as good as you. It's all just local pride. Everything is the best at home. Everything is the best out in the world, said Yukahainen. I must go to do great deeds. Chief among them beating Vainamoinen in a silly sorcerer's duel just when the herd needs culling. Yes. Typical, said Aino. You should stay at home, son, said his mother. Little Ronya has grown up this year, and she would love to see you come calling. Your father has been poorly with his leg and all. We can use all the hands we can get. Yukahainen's father grunted noncommittally, but they all knew that his leg had never been the same since he had tangled with the elk in the winter pastures. I must claim my rightful title, world's greatest charmer, said Yukahainen stubbornly. Ronya can wait, and you'll manage. Oh, let the idiot go, said Aino. He'll be nothing but whines and trouble until we do. He never does his share of the work anyway. So Yukahainen set off with the two best horses and his fine wicker chariot. He looked back often at his sisters and his mother, waving him cheerfully goodbye, and his father staring stolidly at the horizon. He rode south and east, and soon he was in the district of Karelia, where all of the men were ruddy-cheeked, all the women were broad-shouldered, and all the poets were dangerous. "'Is Vainamoinen about?' he asked in the first town he came to. "'Vainamoinen about?' laughed the mayor. "'Wouldn't that be the day? No, lad, we're not hiding Vainamoinen in this little backwater. Try a little further south.' So Yukahainen rode on through Karelia until he came to a bigger town. He went to the inn. "'Is Vainamoinen here?' Not much chance of that, said the innkeeper. He sometimes comes for our song festivals near midsummer, but this time of year, no. Try a little further south. So Yukahainen kept riding south until he got to the outskirts of the biggest town he'd ever seen. It just went on and on, with people swarming everywhere. A middle-aged man with grizzled hair and broad shoulders pulled his chariot companionably near Yukahainen's. Where are you going, friend? I'm looking for Vainamoinen, said Yukahainen. "'Are you really?' said the stranger. "'What will you do once you've found him?' "'I will challenge him to a duel,' cried Yukahainen. "'I will prove once and for all who the greatest charm singer is.' "'And who is it?' asked the stranger. "'Me.' The stranger laughed loudly, too loudly, for Yukahainen's taste. "'A young lapbuck out to test his horns. "'I am Vainamoinen, and I will gladly give you the duel you seek.' Vainamoinen wheeled around so that his chariot was facing Yukahainen's. At that moment, Yukahainen realized how broad his opponent's shoulders were, how deep his chest. Despite the gray on his head, Vainamoinen had hands like hammers and thighs like anvils, huge and hard as rocks. 
Yuka Heinen took a deep breath. The first part of a contest between charmers is always the knowledge contest. Vainamoinen regarded him with a twisted smile. I don't know whether you're a coward or a traditionalist, but, well, I suppose it doesn't matter. Start with your knowledge, boy. I know the placement of a smoke hole for auspicious spirits, said Yuka Heinen. Further, I know in which seasons to catch a whitefish and in which a salmon. I know the names of the trees on Goblin's Crag, and I have spoken with their spirits. I know the depths of the three great rapids, the Hallapul, the Karelian Loon Rapids, and the Vuoxi Rapids of Imatra, greatest of them all. In the past, this had been enough to silence or at least frighten all of the charmers Yukahainen faced. But Vainamoinen waited impassively, and after a moment he said, And? And I know the age of water, the mountain source of water, and the source of fire in the heavens, the sources of copper and iron. I know the oldest wet island and the first tree, a willow. Do you? said Vainamoinen. His voice grew deeper. Do you indeed? For I know, too, the first tree, a willow. I was there when it sprouted its first leaves. I, too, know the source of the water in the mountains, for I was there when it filled the hollows of the sea. I watched the first lily pond form and the hills overturn, and I was plowing the sea and hoeing its depths when your mother's grandmothers were not yet thought of, for you, youth, are a charmer. But I am Vainamoinen. Yukahainen's hair was blown back by the great man's roar, and he trembled at what was before him. Nonetheless, he knew that Vainamoinen could provide demonstrations of all the knowledge he claimed, and more. Yukahainen would have to do better. He drew his blade, moving to the next part of the traditional contest. I may not have lived as long as Vainamoinen, but my arm swings twice as strongly, he shouted. Twice as strongly, laughed Vainamoinen. That I should like to see. The two jumped from their chariots and ran at each other. Yukahainen swung fiercely, but he found Vainamoinen's sword already there, blocking him with ease. Yukahainen cut and chopped, he sweat and parried, but every time he thought he had a decisive move, Vainamoinen had anticipated him. In desperation, Yukahainen sang out a charm to turn Vainamoinen's sword to wood. It splintered in the great man's hand, and he roared. So we're finally having a contest of charms, are we? Is that what you want, boy? Yukahainen opened his mouth to sing a charm that would fell his opponent like a tree, but he found that no sound came out. He was unable to swing his sword arm to attack the older man, and then he noticed a great deep drone filling the air around him, shaking the trees and the rocks. Vainamoinen was singing up an earthquake. He sang a long string of charms too complicated for Yukahainen, and only the land on which he stood remained still. The rest of the earth bucked and twisted, and Yukahainen flailed about for solid ground. He found it as it closed about him, trapping him up to the chest in muddy fenland. He craned his head to see behind him as Vainamoinen's singing ended. The reins to his chariot had become sprouting willow switches. The chariot itself was a mass of fallen trees, waterlogged, and the horse became a rock protruding from among them. Yukahainen watched helplessly as his crossbow arched up into the sky to become a rainbow, and his arrows darted and wheeled around it as hawks. His cap floated from his head, spreading and growing softer until it was a gently ominous cloud bank. Yukahainen struggled, but could not manage to free himself from the muddy fen. "'You are the greater charmer, I admit it!' he shouted. Vainamoinen looked at him contemptuously. "'Of course I am.' If you were in my position, you would kill me without a moment's thought and write a song about it, too. Why should I treat you any differently? 
I'll give you my horse, a lovely creature with a blaze on her chestnut forehead. I have horses, said Vinamoinen. What else do you have? A swift sword and a far-reaching crossbow. Even as he said it, he knew that it was not enough. My chariot goes well with the horse and the weapons. It's light and fast and delicately wrought. If you remove the charm, you could see for yourself. I have weapons enough to beat you, chariots enough to meet you, said Vinamoinen. What else? Two boats, one to carry a huge cargo and the other to win every race on the water. Vinamoinen's mouth quirked in a smile. I have heard tales of your winnings before. I have no reason to believe these boat tales any more. What else? Money, then. Silver and gold. Enough to fill a high-peaked hat. My people would give it gladly. Or, if they had to, grazing rights where their herds go. I rather doubt that they would be ready to give up their entire livelihood for you, said Vainamoinen. And in any case, I have my own farm here in the south. I have no desire to follow the reindeer with your people. You have nothing to offer me. He turned and took deliberate strides away from Yukahainen. Yukahainen felt himself sinking into the mud a tiny fraction at a time. Wait, please, spare my life, shouted Yukahainen. He cast about for a charm, but he had not been paying attention when they had learned the charms for getting reindeer out of the bogs, so he couldn't modify one of those. He struggled further and sank up to his chin. He wished Aino was there so that she could help him. Aino, the inspiration struck. If you let me free, you may have my sister's hand in marriage, he shouted at Vinamoinen. Vinamoinen turned, and Yukahainen stopped sinking for a moment. What is your sister like? She is young and sweet, an unplucked raspberry sweet as a golden cloudberry, babbled Yukahainen. Little Nora, apple of everyone's eye, good-natured, romantic. Bah, said Vinamoinen, and Yukahainen started sinking again. I have another sister! Yukahainen stopped sinking. What's the other one like? Learned and bad-tempered, said Yukahainen. Always pointing out what I've done wrong, and strong. She keeps the herds almost by herself, as our parents have grown old. Sturdy and dependable, said Vinamoinen. The sturdiest, Yukahainen assured him. Not given to vapors? She wouldn't dream of it. Broad-shouldered and strong-handed. She can fell a bull reindeer with one hand if the mood strikes her. Well, then. Vainamoinen muttered a few words, and Yukahainen found himself sitting in his chariot, clean and dry, with no traces of the bog upon him. The sky above was cloudless, and his cap was on his head. Take me to this paragon of a sister. As they drove along in the fine wicker chariot, Yukahainen mustered the courage to say, Are you sure you don't want Nora instead? She's sweeter, more good-natured. But romantic. Yes, her heart stirs, and she weeps at songs and poems. The last thing I need is a stirring heart, said Vainamoinen. But she is also a beautiful young woman, said Yukahainen, though I say so as I should not. You might find her stirring in other ways. Vainamoinen looked at him contemptuously. Yukahainen suddenly remembered what it had been like to be chin-deep in the bog, and he subsided. He found the family in their late summer pastures, readying meat and souring milk for the winter. His sisters were out with the herd, so when he ushered Vainamoinen into the Goatie where they lived, only his parents sat by the fire. "'I have ventured forth into the world,' said Yukahainen, "'and look what I have found, a husband for our Aino, the greatest charmer of all to take her to wife.' 
not Vainamoinen, said Yukahainen's mother, and then she clapped her hand over her mouth, for she knew how sensitive Yukahainen could be about Vainamoinen. I am indeed Vainamoinen, and I am honored to share your happy home, said the great charmer. Perhaps I could oblige you with a small trick or two. I have some small skill, as you may have heard. I know, said Yukahainen's father, looking suspiciously at Yukahainen. I'll fetch her immediately, said Yukahainen, even though he knew that was not what his father had meant. He stepped out of the goatier and waited outside, listening. Oh, well, his mother said, I always did wonder if they had the same flowers in the south as we do here. We never went there with the herd and all, and I just wondered. Yukahainen thought his mother might be simpering, but he put that ridiculous notion out of his head immediately. The flowers of the south will be yours, honored lady, said Vainamoinen. And he sang in the same booming bass voice that had so defeated Yukahainen, until the very walls of the Goatier bloomed white and purple. Yukahainen smiled at the sound of his mother's gasp, and hurried out to find his sisters and bring them in. Oh, said Aino, you've returned. I suppose we'll never stop hearing about how you're the best charmer in the land. Yukahainen flinched. Never mind about that. I brought back Vainamoinen himself, and you'll never guess what he wants. Nora's eyes were wide. What? Our grazing rights, I suppose, said Aino, which is what you sold him to spare your life. Am I right? Of course not, said Yukahainen haughtily. He wants to be your husband. That's ridiculous, said Aino. She was so surprised that she had no hostility at all toward her brother, only sweet reason. I've never met him. He's never met me. And besides, Nora would make a much better wife. It's you he wants, said Yukahainen. It's already been decided. Aino laughed. No, it hasn't. Until I decide it, it hasn't been decided. Nora looked from her brother to her sister. Vainamoinen, the great charmer, wants to marry our Aino? Yukahainen caught her up in a grateful hug. I know, isn't it wonderful? I don't mind telling you I feel quite clever for having arranged it. Aino shook her head and strode back towards the reindeer herd. Nora bit her lip and looked up at Yukahainen. She'll come in, said Yukahainen. She'll have to. For dinner. But while Aino did return for dinner, she spoke to their illustrious guest with only the barest minimum of civility, and she retired to a far corner with her blankets early, ignoring the entire company and pretending to be asleep. When Yukahainen tried to speak to her too insistently, she sang a shimmering green tent of silence around her. Vainamoinen smiled admiringly. He will be staying in a goatier all his own, of course, said Yukahainen's mother. We couldn't have him sleeping here with his bride-to-be. And Vainamoinen shuffled obediently off to his borrowed goatier without another question. But the minute he was gone, Aino banished her tent of silence. What is wrong with you? demanded their mother. Nothing at all, said Aino. But no one will marry me off against my will, and that's the end of it. I'm truly sorry, Aino wailed Yukahainen. I didn't know you would set yourself against it so. I had to save my life, and I thought you would be happy. That's half true, at least, said Aino. Don't be a fool, said her mother. If you marry the great Vainamoinen, all the finest things in the land will be yours. You will grow sleek on cream and pork in the south. You will be the mistress of his entire estate. Aino set her lips firmly. I am too young to marry, and I will always be too young to marry unwillingly. Her mother snorted. Do you think that the sun shines nowhere but here? You'll still feast on summer berries in the south with Vainamoinen. So it's settled, then, said Aino. 
She sang the green tent around her head again, and her mother shook her head and turned away. In the morning, Ina rose early to get her chores done, as she always did. When she had seen to the reindeer, she went to cut whisks for the sauna. She cut one for each member of the family, considered cutting one for Vainamoinen, and discarded the notion. But as if her thought had called him up, Vainamoinen appeared in her path as she walked back towards her home Goatie. "'You look lovely this morning,' he said. "'I will appreciate it if you do your hair like that again.' "'It's kind of you to concern yourself with me, but you really needn't bother,' she said, trying to step around him. He sidestepped with her. "'And I appreciate that you have worn such lovely jewelry for me. The rings are nice, but the necklace is really superb. You should wear them again when we wed.' She leveled her dirtiest look at him. "'I don't think that'll be necessary,' she said, and dodged past too quickly for him to follow. Ducking inside the goatier, she screeched in rage. "'What is wrong with you now?' demanded her mother. "'Vainamoinen is treating me as though he can dictate my hair, my jewelry, everything about me. He talks about our wedding.' "'I had hoped you would wake up in a more reasonable mood,' sighed her mother. "'He treated me like property.' "'He treated you like his bride,' said her mother, "'which is what you will be.' "'No, I will not.' "'Vainamoinen didn't have to spare your brother's life, you know.' "'No, and Yukahainen didn't have to antagonize him in the first place, either.' "'They glared at each other. "'Her mother looked away first. "'Child, child, let me show you something.' "'She dug into the bottom of a trunk, off in the darkest corner. "'Facing away from Aino, she shook out a garment and sighed.' Here it is, the most beautiful thing I've ever had. She turned. Aino gasped. It was the deepest, richest blue she'd ever seen, the color of early dusk woven into soft wool. Her mother smiled. I got it from the spirits of the sun and the moon when I was your age. Aino reached out a tentative hand. It's beautiful. I know. You can put it on if you like. Ina stripped to her shift and then pulled the dress over her head. It fell to her ankles, hugging her body gently. "'Oh, you look lovely,' her mother breathed. "'Go and show Vaina—' Ina whirled and ran away before she could hear the end of the name. Her mother called after her, and her sister and brother asked where she was going as she passed them, but she ran on and on until she reached the shores of the lake. She knew that whatever happened, she would not marry Vainamoinen. She knew that if she lived as a human girl, he would never leave her alone.' She took off the spirit's blue dress first, folding it and setting it on a rock near the water. She folded her shift and her stockings, took off her rings, her bracelets, and unbraided her hair. Aino took off her necklace last, coiling the chain neatly on top of the pile of clothing. She threw her head back and sang, a rippling, watery charm that started to work immediately. As she sang the last note, she gathered herself and jumped off the rock. The wind felt as though it was flattening her arms to her sides, and the air suddenly felt dry, drier than the depths of winter. With relief, she plunged into the cool water and barely felt it around her. She hovered under the surface, flicking her tail in relief. The charm had worked. She had become a fish. She was an odd fish, with a golden head where her blonde hair had been, and markings like fingers on her fins. She waited in the shallows to see what had happened. In not too long, there was a great uproar on the shores of the lake, and the vibrations of many feet approached. Aino had hoped that they would take more time trying to figure out what she had done, but she realized that Vainamoinen would have immediately cast a charm to find her. Soon, the surface of the lake was covered with boats, darting about quickly and slowly. 
When she poked her head up out of the waters, her mother's wailing so disturbed her that she left the shallows and dove a little deeper into the center of the lake. Above her head, the light of the surface faded as she dove, and soon she was alone, buoyed up and surrounded by the green lake water. She gazed around her wonderingly. Where only the smallest ashes and motes of dust floated in the air, she had breathed her whole life. In this underwater world, everything floated in the currents. She took in the fronds of green water plants, the flash of another fish just out of sight, a ribbon dropped by some girl on the surface, days ago or weeks, she couldn't tell. Ino startled at a staring bit of drowned squirrel, and swam back upwards a ways. And there, floating before her, was the tastiest, most tempting morsel that ever a fish beheld. In the lightless waters, it appeared to have its own light, wriggling just a bit, delicately. Though she had never eaten as a fish, she could almost taste it on her cool tongue. She pulled back at the last minute, and the glint of metal showed her she was right not to take it, for it was bait indeed. Ino swam around it slowly. Vainamoinen had enchanted his hook to tantalize her. She was sure of it. The amazing, delectable worm looked slightly different from different angles, not shifting quite correctly as she swam around it. For the next several days, Ino lived on whatever she could find near the bottom of the lake, as long as it stayed the same when she swam around it. She had lost track of the time when Vainamoinen seemed to have given up and left. But she knew that she couldn't trust him. The minute she turned back into a girl, he would return. In the meantime, Aino's family was in a sad state. In his rage, Yukahainen swore revenge on Vainamoinen. He worked day and night on a charm while Nora cared for their parents and herded the reindeer. She worked from dawn to dusk and then sat by the fire trying to finish more of the day's work by herself. When Yukahainen was finished, the charm picked Vainamoinen up bodily and cast him far away to the north, to the doors of the stronghold of the witch Luhi. But whether he escaped and what happened there is another tale entirely. When he turned away from his curse and back to his family, he found Nora thin and drawn, coughing and shuddering under a blanket. None of his charms dealt with such practical matters as a fever. He didn't know where to turn. Meanwhile, Aino was finding it more complicated to be a fish than she had imagined that it would be. She had finally found the other fish in the lake, and they were massed in a school before her. The largest haddock twitched at her disapprovingly. "'You can't stay here.' "'Why not?' said Aino. You're not a real fish. I am so. No. You're a human. The haddock looked almost apologetic. We can tell. I used to be a human, said Ino. Now I'm a fish. The haddock shook its head slowly. You're still part human. You have to want to be a fish. Ino wished that she had hips so that she could put her hands on them. She wished that she had hands, too. She had no idea how fish expressed exasperation, so she twitched her tail. If I hadn't wanted to be a fish, I wouldn't have changed myself into one. No, said the haddock, you wanted not to be a girl. That's different than wanting to be a fish. I could have changed myself into a wolf or a bird or anything else in the world, but I chose to be a fish. You were just born that way. There was a slight bubbling from the school. It sounded approving to Aino. Well, you can't just stay like that, said the haddock, part fish and part human. Why not? The haddock sputtered, which I know had not realized one could do underwater. It's against nature. I could help you, said I know. I know many things. All of which are gone with your hands, said an elderly trout. I know let a bubble escape her fishy lips in despair. It was true. 
Most of her skills required her human body. One could not milk or cook or build or sew without hands. Then she remembered. I can do charms. If I was a fish, could I do charms? The fish all shook their heads. Well then, if I did charms for you, could I stay? Yes, said the elderly trout. Yes, said a tiny croppy. And gradually the school agreed one by one until the haddock finally said, Well, all right. Show us your charms and then you can stay. Aino opened her mouth to sing, but only little bubbling coughs came out. You can't even charm, said the haddock. Not enough fish and not enough girl. No, wait, said Aino. She swam upwards and several of the other fish followed her. They lurked below the surface, but she let her cold lips just barely break through the water, and she heard her brother's voice. Don't know what we're going to do, he was saying. Please, just come back and marry Vinamoinen, please. Or have your own charm battle with him or something. Or just ignore him. I sent him away. I did what I could. Ina rolled her eyes, though it felt different with them on the sides of her head. She knew, if he did not, that Vinamoinen was too great a charmer to be crossed lightly and she could feel in her lips the spells Vinamoinen had set, just waiting for her to come out of the lake and resume her girl life again. "'I don't know how to manage,' Yukahainen said, and Aino agreed silently. "'And Nora does her best, but she's so young and she can't stop coughing. I, I didn't know you'd be so unhappy about marrying Vinamoinen.' Aino sighed. Even as he pled with her to return, his voice sounded petulant and cross. Yukahainen still couldn't see what he'd done wrong.' But that didn't mean she'd let Nora suffer for it. She gathered breath and started to sing a charm for her sister. She knew that she must still have some humanity left, if she was able to draw air in to sing, but her voice sounded different through the surface of the lake, rounder and slicker and also much higher. She sang a series of popping ripples that her human voice would never have done. Yukahain had said something, but she paid no attention to it, focused entirely on her magic. Her spell strengthened Nora's lungs and back, gave her reserves to draw on in her times of need. Aino gave Nora's soft hands calluses and force. She gave her shoulders a bit more breadth and a lot more endurance. When she was finished with her sister, her charm song shifted, and she sung a limited sort of benediction over the waters. When she dove below again, the fish sounded as though they wished they could applaud, but she was tired and swam away from them a while and wept salty tears into the fresh water for what was lost. Then she joined the school again, and on moonlit nights the people of the Samima would gather silently at the banks of the lake to hear the singing fish. But in all the rest of their living days, neither Yukahainen nor Vainamoinen ever caught a fish again. Whether they used nets or hooks or gleaming spears, the fish always managed to slip through their grasp. And welcome back. Ah, Vainamoinen. Vainamoinen, 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 Vainamoinen. God, Hobson's right. That is a lot of fun to say. When you put it five times together like that. <sighs> if you're like me, you might have been a little bit surprised by the sadder note this story took toward the end. I'm not sure why. It is a story set in Finland, after all. We love you, Finland! I know, I know. Life as a fish was way less depressing in that scene from Disney's Sword in the Stone, right? Unless, of course, you were the other fish. 
I was told once that we were all born selfish creatures. It's natural coming into the world as a baby and being dependent on others to survive. The rest of our life, we struggle to become something more than self-centered, and often, we fail. And yet, we try again. Because we're human, and we know we can do better. That's why we all sit around the campfire, I think, listening to the storyteller. Or why we choose to play a story on the commute or in the office instead of rocking out to drive shafts you all everybody. Because yes, we want to be entertained, that's important. But we also want to be moved, and we want to learn. And I believe we want to do better. So, here's to us. You and me, and all the rest of us listening. May we continue to keep on trying. Feedback for Podcastle 106. Tim Pratt's Little Gods, read by yours truly. The story of a man struggling with grief over his wife's death, and the little gods he encountered as a result. This one really seemed to hit a nerve with a lot of you, generally in the best kind of way. I did mention it was a Tim Pratt story, right? Merry Old Soul said, I've not suffered the loss of a loved one. It'll come, but for now, I feel I've just been given a true understanding of the emotional impact. A friend of mine lost his wife a few months ago. I've sent him this story in the hope it'll make his suffering just that little bit easier to bear. Wow. Thank you, Merry Old Soul, for sharing that, and I'll be thinking about your friend. Sandical added, I had tears in my eyes at the end of the story. That's enough for me to give it a thumbs up. Finally, Electric Paladin said, The only problem I had with Little Gods is that Tim Pratt did such a good job building his world and characters that I found myself desperately wanting more. So much so that the longing got in the way of enjoying the story I actually got to listen to. This doesn't happen often. The story of the narrator overcoming his loss and moving on was beautiful, sad, and perfectly paced, but I think I would have liked the story of the narrator attempting to negotiate a relationship with his newly deified wife while fending off well-intentioned offers to set him up with a girl everyone else could see and grappling with the consequences of this forbidden love even better. I don't know what this is, probably not a left-handed compliment since I basically enjoyed the story. Maybe a right-handed insult? Well, Electric Paladin could be you're the little god of longing for stories that live beyond the boundaries of what's between the covers. Or, in this case, between the intro and outro. Which sounds perfectly good to me. But that ever-expanding library of podcast stories needs a patron, and so we come to you. All of you. Hat in hand, asking you for your donations. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and sending some money our way. It keeps the rivaling charmers who live at Podcastle from going at each other's throats, and seriously, it allows us to continue to bring great stories to you, our audience. Thank you very much for your generosity. That's all we have for this week, gentle listener, but fear not. We'll be back in a week for the end of the world, when Greg Van Eka brings some much-needed Ragnarok to Podcastle. Good times. Well, as good as it can be for the end of the world, but hey, it's a week away. In the meantime, you best call that reindeer herd and hope the fishing gets better real fast. We'll see you all soon. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
Mark Twain said, Do not tell fish stories where the people know you, but particularly, don't tell them where they know the fish. <laughs>